Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Miki Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Cinephiles Live here on The Cinephiles YouTube channel. I am the outlaw, John Roca. You can call me. No, I don't want to say any names. Anyway, <laughs> joined as always by my co-host on the Cinephiles, Steve Morris. How are you, Steve? I am good. I'm good. There's, you know, it's, I was about to say there are a bunch of landmines in this conversation we're about to have, but there are literally landmines in the conversation we're about to have, and I am super excited to see how well we navigate them. Yeah, let's make sure we don't blow up like uh, Steve Coogan does in the movie as oh we step God. on any of these landmines for sure. But yeah, we're going to get into the film, 2008's Tropic Thunder. That's what we're discussing today. So thanks to all of you who are joining us right off the bat live. We appreciate it. Madly good to see you all. In the chat, uh, Reefism, uh, Baby Yoda, not Grogu, Brandon Gitlis, Darren Wright, of course, over there in uh, England, Travis Earl hanging out with us, Vincent Zawada and Jonathan Peck. Great to see you all hanging out. we got 20 of you right off the bat, and I'm sure those numbers will increase as we go along. But yes, we are going to have some fun talking uh, over the next maybe hour and a half about uh, 2008's Tropic Thunder, a controversial comedy that still echoes into today uh, to borrow something from gladiator um i was doing some research for the show and there are still articles in 2023 from notable outlets steve that still talk about this movie so it's going to be an interesting conversation for us to have uh as we get into it also for you all who are watching us and our patrons uh steve and i've been working hard on creating some new you guys know over the last few weeks and months we've been sending you guys emails and uh, hearing back from you all about perks that you want to see that will ex excite you uh, and entice you to either join the Patreon or jump up a level on the Patreon. And we're going to have some new tiers to announce today live on the show. It's gonna, You guys will be the first people to hear these new tiers before we put them out there for people to see. So, Steve, how are you doing on this, uh, at least where I'm at, overcast Sunday here uh, on the West Coast? How are you? It continues to be the strangest year in the history of Southern California weather. I mean, like, it is so bizarre. And yeah, it's overcast here. It was raining a little bit earlier. It's yeah. cool. It's actually perfect weather for me. This is like, I grew up in San Francisco, so this is my favorite thing. Yeah. But for most of Los Angeles, uh, Karen, for instance, is sick and tired of this and wants the sun. <laughs> Yeah. it is but but in terms of like the massive drought we've been having off and on for the last 20 years oh, that's true. good point th this has been a fantastic year for yeah. all of the southwest yeah i agree with you and i don't i know we're, we're not bored because we're trying to talk about the weather we're just gonna get, getting everything kind of leveled up in here as we uh, jump into tropic thunder we wanted to get a few more people in here before we jump into it. but yes on my side of the fence i agree with you the the lady outlaw feels the same way she hates overcast days i am like you i love overcast days um, and she's being driven nuts by the constant sun. The only frustrating part is I can't I can't seem to wash my car, Steve. Every time I get the idea <laughs> to wash my car, it fucking rains 
or something happens that it's overcast for the next seven days. I'm like, I don't want to take a chance. So hopefully at some point uh, I will get to wash my car in the next three months at some point because it's getting out of uh, control for sure. Um, and just want to remind you all, hey, the Streamlabs and Super Chats are open during this discussion. We are not shying away from anything in this discussion. We are going to talk about Robert Downey Jr. and the controversial blackface that goes on in the movie. We're going to talk about all the a lot of the references that are made in the movie as well. And we're going to get into some of the stuff that may be uncomfortable to look back now in 2023 at a comedy in 2008, but also talk about some of the comments from Ben Stiller and people involved in the production that I've got kind of lined up to bring up uh, uh, um, uh, according to uh, their thoughts about the film itself. So Steve, let's get it going. We've got 30 people in here, so let's jump into it. You know, we don't have a lot of time. So Steve, tell me your um, first experience. When did you see tropic thunder for the first time and tell me now in 2023 what you think about this movie or what occurs to you when you think about this movie now so i saw it in the theater my guess is i saw it in the theater with you probably Um, most like you i feel like it was in the cinerama dome do you think Mm -hmm. that's where you saw it yeah Yeah, i saw the cinerama dome yep i remember that and i this was one of those i almost fell out of my seat i was laughing so hard movies (laughs) that i i this just back to back joke after joke after joke after joke so damn funny and for whatever reason i never watched it again and so the next time i watched it was in the last few days i mean i'd seen clips from it and like every once in a while but yeah i just hadn't watched it and You know, and so when you do that, when you go, you know, 15 years between seeing a film, there's always the sort of, well, is it going to be as good? And of course, this time I watched it by myself, which isn't the same as watching it in a crowded theater right when a movie opens up. And yeah, this movie totally holds up. And I and I totally want to engage in what the controversies are. And I think we should sure. seriously discuss them. But I think this is a great movie. And I I love it almost top to bottom. Yeah, it was an interesting film. Yeah, I saw it with Steve, I'm sure, and our crew of people in 2008. I'm sure the trailers absolutely spoke to all of us, and so we've got a bunch of people together to go see it. I remember loving it. This one immediately became one of my favorites because it checked a lot of boxes. A military film, great comedy, Tom Cruise, uh, Ben Stiller, Robert Downey Jr., um, yeah, not so much of a Jack Black fan at the time, but certainly the combination of all of that. Plus, it was kind of a brilliant script. Nick Nolte being in him here as well, and the commentary on Hollywood. If you guys know me at all, it's a reason I host the Hot Mic. I love Hollywood, and I also like to make fun of Hollywood and call it out for its bullshit and two-facedness. And I think this film does that in the best ways. You know, something, Steve, we talked about when we talk about great parodies on our show, on our main show, is like you, the great ones are the ones that parody things, but still you can tell the love for it that is bubbling exactly. under the surface as they parody it. And certainly... There are so many films and so many things referenced uh, in this movie that are parodied, but never seem to be hating on the things that are parodying other than the blackface situation, which is a a deft commentary to have back in 2008 for sure. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I mean, the the movie that I that I always cite as sort of the one that does the best job of parodying parodying and honoring the the genre is always been galaxy quest to me oh yeah yeah, um and i think this is right there with it i think this because it does exactly the same thing that galaxy quest does which is in the end it delivers on the heroic premise of the thing you know yes of the film yes exactly yeah so so and i just think that's so and, and the other thing and obviously we'll talk about it in detail yeah but there actually are real character arcs that happen for our main characters in this film, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah like yeah. There, there's, there, I'm, I'm not saying this is a deep movie, but it is actually <laughs> about real stuff. 
you know, and it gets into and in terms of it's what it's satiring in terms of Hollywood. Yeah. I think it's satiring more important issues in Tropic Thunder than Galaxy Quest is is satiring in, you know, of the Star Trek world and of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And at the time this film came out, let's give a little bit of background just for those of you who may not know about the film. Ben Stiller came up with this idea while he was playing one of the ensemble characters in Empire of the Sun. That's 1987. So that's how far back the idea for this film goes. Ben Stiller was working on it, working on it, working on it, and he didn't get approval for making the film until 2006. And he directed this movie, and this is seven years after his previous movie, which is Zoolander in 2001. So apparently he had just taken some time working his thing as an actor, figuring out what he wanted to do next, and here comes the idea finally in 2006 getting the green light from the studios to put this up. And remember, he'd been he'd been hitting a bit of a, um, a uh, uh, how can I say this, a stumble? Because uh, the cable guy didn't do well after Reality Bites, which was his theatrical debut, had gotten so much attention and so much love, cable guy kind of fell down. Of course, he'd had the Ben Stiller show and that ill-fated Heat, Vision, and Jack show with Jack Black, who would, of course, go on to be in Tropic Thunder. So an interesting resume at the time for a director, uh, uh, both a hit and a miss, uh, and then another hit uh, that uh, is kind of an underground guilty pleasure of a lot of people, like uh, that is Zoolander, and then seven years later, uh, Tropic Thunder. So an unusual path he comes to this film uh justin thoreau comes on as a writer who some of you may know from the leftovers also was i think dated or married jennifer anderson i don't know the particulars of that and eaton cohen is another writer on this film and so all three of them work on the script of course they're parodying all the military films specifically the 1970s military films but also they're sending up what had been a recent trend um uh, over the last couple of decades uh, this idea of actors wanting to get Oscars by playing people with disabilities. Um, and I hope I'm saying that term correctly, intellectual disabilities. Certainly we'd seen that, although you wouldn't call someone like Rain Man intellectually disabled because actually super intelligent, just different in the approach and Forrest Gump and all these things. So that certainly was going on with Simple Jack. As we mentioned, the black the blackface going on here, also casting a black actor in the ensemble there to be the one who calls out the method actor playing a, a black actor, the white Australian actor. And of course, that's a send up of method actors like Russell Crowe, like recently Jared Leto, like Daniel Day-Lewis, those kinds of things all over the place. Then you have Tom Cruise, who in 2008 was having a serious PR um, issue because he had kind of really leaned into his Scientology. He had had a contentious uh, argument with Matt Lauer on the Today Show. He had been involved with Katie Holmes and had given that embarrassing interview with Oprah where he was jumping up on the couch, which uh, I think was made fun of in Scary Movie 4 or 5. I don't remember. It was um, uh, one of the act Jeffrey Dean Morgan making fun of him. But yeah, he so Tom was suffering a little bit, the PR pushback, and he Mission Impossible had been put on the shelf. There were rumors that Paramount was going to drop him completely from working with him. He was not getting green lights on his projects at the time. So this was a way to kind of bring Tom Cruise back as well who had been such a good friend with Ben Stiller for such a long time. And he took on the studio executive, Les Grossman, which was a parody of like Harvey Weinstein and all these other people that had been in Hollywood. He had put the makeup on, gotten his arms bigger, put the chest, the hairy, all that, the balded himself. So all of this, so it's an interesting film at an interesting time for everybody's career. RDJ was still kind of coming out of the, um, 
coming out of the uh, um, drug addiction and studios weren't necessarily sure. Of course, it's the same year as Iron Man 2008. So this is the beginning of Robert Downey Jr. coming into a renaissance and he gets nominated for playing Lincoln Osiris. So Steve, so much involved in this movie, so much background, so much. Uh, what are your thoughts on all the uh, developments here to kind of get us to this point? It's funny you summing this up like that, that it, it just seems like it's a critical moment for all these people. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, like, you know, just with Tom Cruise, you know, there was a time when if you were the biggest star in Hollywood, that was, you know, max three years or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tom Cruise had already been a huge star for 20 years. So it really was like, OK, that's it. You know, mm -hmm. like he had he had a great run. And now just like every other actor in history. Burt Reynolds, Sylvester Stallone, like whoever this yeah. like now that run is going to come over and you're still going to do some movies. Who would have thought that today he would be the biggest star again? Still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, that yeah. you know, after after that slump and the same, you know, Robert Downey Jr. had been written off. Yeah. Ben, ben Stiller is a fascinatingly talented person. Yeah. I mean, I remember first seeing, you know, clips of him, you know, in the 80s or late 80s, early 90s yeah. and seeing these little sketches and seeing him do Tom Cruise and seeing some stuff in the Ben Stiller show and then Reality Bites. And the I love Zoolander, by the way, the wackiness of Zoolander, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just over the top. And the fact that now he's doing Severance on Apple yeah. TV, this incredibly serious, tense, stressful, you know, it just goes like, man, this is a talented, talented guy yeah. in a very unique way. So like all of those people coming together, I mean, that I think, you know, I think that's how the magic happens. Yeah, I mean, an incredible level of talented comedians, intelligently talented comedians, right? I mean, Ben Stiller. Jack Black. And by the way, Jack Black was also kind of suffering a little bit of uh, career stumbles here. 2003 School of Rock. Certainly people loved that, but not a lot was going on there. Computer Man didn't really get a lot of attention. Envy was pretty much a box office failure. Shark Tale was a box office failure for the most part. People bashed him for in King Kong, his performance of Peter Jackson's King Kong. Nacho Libre didn't do well, although that's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, and The Holiday had gotten attention, but not for Jack Black, just about everybody else in that movie. And then, boom, Kung Fu Panda is the same year as 2008, uh, same year as Tropic Thunder, rather, 2008. So also another person who's involved. So an intelligent uh, comedian like Jack Black, an intelligent comedian like Ben Stiller, an intelligent comedian like Justin Theroux as well uh, in, in his writing. And then you throw in someone who really was discovering his power as an actor once and for all in Robert Downey Jr. It's right. an incredible mix of talent. And then you got Jay Baruchel and Brandon T. Jackson there as a great ensemble to all of this. And Steve Coogan was kind of getting to be known stateside for his work. Bill Hader is in this movie uh, as well, playing a, a less, one of Les's assistants who's on set for all of this. So we're seeing all these people coming together at kind of the right time with the right mix of uh, chemistry and actors to pull this off in a really strong script uh which i you know steve you're a writer yeah i mean when you're seeing how the timing of these jokes the construction the lead up and then the payoff on so much of this stuff it still works um uh, today in 2023 so i want to comment on the script but first i just yes. want to mention something about jack black uh yeah. which is as you know i am an obsessive audiobook listener and ah. And every once in a while, uh, Audible puts up these free books. And if yes. it's a free book that I'm interested in, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll download it. And one of them recently <laughs> is The Road to Redunction by Tenacious D. And it is oh. their 
self-done autobiography and it's like you know a couple <laughs> hours long and it's the two of them and it is so fucking funny and crazy and it's crazy too like yeah. what happened to those two guys when they hit it big and how and and just the you how know music them. and love that came after them wow um it, it, it was really fun um as far as the script i am yeah. so uh impressed with people who who can write jokes yeah. because it's not a skill that I have. Like I can write a funny scene, but it's all character based. I am, if I am completely incapable of insert joke here. Yeah. And there are a lot of writers who can do it. And the density of jokes in this thing. And you know, the only way you get it is by going over and over and over again. Oh, sure. I mean, there's like joke after joke after joke and they're all in character and they're all, yeah you know sending up war films and actors and hollywood and artists yeah. and you know race and perceptions and all this stuff i i think it's an incredibly tight script yeah yeah and it's um it's something that you're really surprised by when you when you watch it again in 2023 it still works um and it still hits the beats that it's supposed to hit and steve unfortunately it still makes a topical commentary uh, uh, with the Artie, with uh, Lincoln Osiris, the Robert Downey Jr. character about um, whiteface, about whitefacing characters, whitewashing rather characters, blackface, what have you. Seeing Scarlett Johansson in Ghost in the Shell playing an Asian character, seeing Emma Stone playing an Asian character, Japanese person in Aloha, that is still happening to this day, and there's still a pushback from it. And now we're seeing nowadays that there's a pushback from other people who are upset about this who say it, an actor is an actor, they should be allowed to play all the different things. Mostly, it's usually mostly white actors saying that. But yes, we're seeing that uh, in a pushback because this was commenting on something that was that was topical at the time and people were aware of and had kind of accepted it, but now still topical in 2023, unfortunately. And it's probably going to still keep happening as we look at all of this uh, going forward. So, um, but let's jump into the, let's jump into the, what do, where do you want to go, Steve? Do you, where, where are you feeling? The controversy? <laughs> where, where do you want to hit first? What's your, what's your feeling on this? Do you want to uh, jump into the Lincoln stuff or do you want to take it slow into the commentary? What, what's your feeling? Um, let's, I think we should talk, let's start with just war films. Okay, like, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You know, because that's what, you know, because the, the first thing we're satiring is even before we're satiring actors. Yeah. I, I think, well, actually, <laughs> I had totally forgotten their trailers at the beginning of this movie, by the yes. way. Yes, let's talk about that. Go ahead. The, yeah, so I think let's start with that. They're perfect. They're just, <laughs> I mean, the, what is it? Scorcher is the Ben Stiller series? Yes, Scorcher again. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, they're just, particularly in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. in all of the Volcano movies and Twister and all of those sort of things. And just, yeah. you know, or Cliffhanger or all these sort of just, action you know nature movies that were happening and that that's perfect i mean is it is it satan's alley <laughs> is this yeah, satan's alley, which was oh a send-up if you remember that independent film called the priest which was a big deal in the early 90s in the oh, or was it late night late 90s early 2000s i think and it was and it was also about a priest coming out as gay on this remote area in the in the past so it was a bit of a send up of that, which I thought was really funny as well. Yeah. And then you got Jack Black doing his uh, Eddie Murphy thing. Yeah. Eddie um, Murphy, Martin Lawrence. Yes. Yeah. I mean, those are those are all really funny and they really set up perfectly what this movie is going to be. And then you go into that helicopter attack. And I think Sean Kwai 
and yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like you go and because and what's what what he does what Ben Stiller does so well is at the beginning it's just like this is a Vietnam War movie you know yeah. like it, that's what it feels like and then little by little <laughs> things get worse and worse and worse until you get the cut moment and <laughs> you know and Ben Stiller's got no arms and or no hands and it's just yeah. it's great well and, and let's let, let me go along with steve on the trailer so we start off with booty sweat from alpa chino alpa chino which was a thing that was happening uh, with a lot of uh, which was happening in the rap community that people were taking names and adjusting famous names for themselves we saw that happening but also rappers were coming into the idea of multiple revenue streams master p was one of the first people to start this possibility of multiple revenue streams for rappers and that became a thing and of course that bled into the nfl athletes having multiple revenue streams as well actors now have multiple revenue streams right the rock just celebrated one million barrels annually of his tequila brand which is only wow. 10 other brands do that uh can claim make that claim and that that's another example plus tv shows and all these things that are going on so we see this is a, what what is going on here with al pacino is an interesting point as well and the booty sweat and of course the the fact that he's gay is a thing that having to hide your homosexuality be so overtly straight that you're hiding your homosexuality especially as a black rapper where in, in the black community homosexuality not in all sections obviously but in areas of the black community homosexuality is seen as a sin a big sin and your your manhood is questioned all the time you hear it in a lot of rap songs he'll go and listen to dmx some of his stuff and his references so we see that happening at in, in that in that uh, little promo there for him as well as you said the send up with uh, jack uh, with jack black there with mark lawrence and eddie which is really funny but the the uh, the idea of uh, actors trying to do serious roles right we were seeing that we weren't that far removed maybe a decade removed from from stallone trying you know stallone occasionally doing some drama which works for copland didn't work in the comedy for Oscar, but you see that these action stars wanting to be taken seriously, veering into playing more serious roles. And sometimes it works. JCVD, I would argue, worked for Van Damme. I don't think anything has ever worked with, for Seagal. I don't know if Chuck Norris has ever done a serious film, but certainly when he was younger, there were some good dramatic moments in some of his early films. But you see that as something that's happening, trying to get taken seriously. And that opening with uh, uh, the temptation song uh, cloud nine was it a ball of confusion ball of confusion one of my all-time favorite songs it's actually a, yeah you're absolutely right 100 um it's a parody of of course the apocalypse now when all the yeah. helicopters are flying in with wagner playing there so so much of that and then boom we get to this whole beginning and all this thing which is a parody and let me play um a video here of a parody that we see in the opening with tug uh initially when he is, uh, when he's uh, coming into this uh, situation. Oh, oh, oh. See, Steve, there is comparisons here that they're playing with, and near the end of this whole sequence, because when we watched Platoon in 1986, to us this was really moving, but then seeing it parodied now, it kind of adds a little bit of comedy to the moment. Steve, it's just so perfect seeing the overdramatic music from Platoon 
and then the overdramatic music in that, but also seeing the body and then seeing the helicopter going over in both of those scenes. So there's so much parody in the movie. What are your thoughts on these initial parodies right off the bat here? We, we recently did uh, Spinal Tap, and the, the quote that just stood out to me was, there's a fine line between clever and stupid. <laughs> and, and, and I think like the line between beautifully dramatic mm-hmm. and total ridiculousness is waffa thin it is so small <laughs> because those it's almost identical yeah like yeah, they're yeah. almost and it's just like just the wobbliness of his <laughs> arms you know and the fact that he gets shot just a few too many times like 40 times he gets shot. you know yeah. like you just take it you just take the you do exactly the same thing and then yeah. you just take it a, a little bit further and it becomes and you see the ridiculousness of it. And and this is the thing, my feeling, too. And it's funny that we were talking about, you know, action stars trying to take serious. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Tom Cruise is one of those people who's always been on that line. Yeah. I mean, I think Tom Cruise is a great actor. For but sure. like, you know, he's, you know, whether it was born on the 4th of July or the, in Magnolia or, you know, in these more serious films. Yeah. But then he always goes back to being an action star. And like the that distance of when when you are delivering it is a really strange spot um and i think again this movie has to i think they have to love apocalypse now and love platoon and love full metal jacket and all these films yeah in order to make this comedy you know yeah yeah for sure and there's so many references throughout you know there's a number there's a number of platoon references right at the beginning for sure and of course later on in the film as you said it's parody in the first section of the movie but then when we get to the end of the film we're so dialed into them breaking out and succeeding and surviving all the beats are the same that we saw in the beginning of the movie to what we see at the end but it's much more effective because everyone now is dialed in and not pretending they actually are legitimately dialed into what's happening and they play and there's a reality to it that those notes that were we were making fun of before hit much harder when you're seeing it at the end especially for me i was thinking to myself like why hasn't ben stiller been approached in directing a superhero film, I think he'd be real interesting in something like Ant-Man where there's a humor combined with an action element, I think could be real interesting to uh, maybe knock on Ben Stiller's door. And as you mentioned with severance and the recent series that he has now on Apple TV, high desert, which he produced uh, at co-wrote, I think, and also uh, directed some episodes. That's also a fantastically interesting comedy uh, of person with a low rent addiction situation trying to climb out of their situation with the, the great Patricia Arquette as well. So I think there's elements here that you could look at and go like, come on, man, let's get him. Let's get him on board. Maybe he doesn't want to, but it would be interesting to see him tackle that. Um, Steve, we also should hit some other references here. I think it'd be fun to start and take a look at some other references here. Uh, Tom Cruise is in the movie. Uh, and Ben Stiller, uh, who is a great friend of Tom Cruise, certainly there's some funny moments that are send-ups as well. And here's one where um, Tom Cruise, this is Tom Cruise. Everybody remembers that from the trailer. And then we see what Ben Stiller does, who is a good friend. It's just so... Perfect in what it is parodying, Steve. It's just, it's it's exactly it's exactly like what we said about Platoon. It's literally the same thing, yeah. Except just the tiniest bit of him going whoa <laughs> in that moment turns it into a comedy. Um, yeah, it's, I think I, I think what what's so great is just the way that they honor all of those things. Yeah. And I have to say, by the way, also in the opening, 
the scene. I don't I don't know what your most difficult acting moment was with a acting partner. Yeah. But the argument as they're trying to get the shot and who is crying. And of course, we're, yeah. we're building up to a huge explosion and getting the timing right yeah. like that. I have. I have watched actors go through versions of that where you could tell I'm directing or whatever, or you could just tell yeah. the actors are not getting along. Each one wants to kind of take, be the star. Yeah. And they're, you know, that scene just rings so damn true to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great beginning because you're establishing where everybody fits in the power structure, right? You've got a director who is in, in over his head. You've got a, a action star who is used to being the top dog on his set right now on a different set, but, commanding the director to cut and there's nothing that frustrates a director more than an actor saying to the production when to cut i would imagine i've never directed a film but i imagine that would irritate it most directors um and the whole reason is because the the actor is jealous that he cannot hit the notes that the other actor is hitting and at the time it feels like lincoln osiris aka kirk lazarus or kurt lazarus is the better actor at that time in the back and forth between them you know and we see that and the status by the end of the movie, when they're having the same conversation, in essence, just different words, but the same conversation, you're seeing an equality between the both of them yep. and the respect because he has been uh, playing pretend as these characters and disappearing into these method things. And it's Ben Stiller, ironically, of all people, Tug Speedman, of all people, that exposes Kurt Lazarus to himself, which causes a, a um, friendship between them because the walls are down between them for sure. Well, this is what I mean about it being a, a really well-crafted movie. Like, yeah, yeah. like if, it, if it was just, if all the jokes were there, I would yeah. totally like it and I would have laughed. Right. But what's so great is that 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 scene sets up this character journey. As you said, yeah. he's intimidated by this great actor and his intimidation causes him to act out in a certain way yeah. out of insecurity. And what we're covering up is the fact, or literally covering up with blackface, <laughs> is the deep insecurity of this other actor, yeah. which we have that he actually can't doesn't know who he is right. and can't figure out how to be himself. And that they both have to go on this journey where where uh what's it tug speedman learns how to act you know learns how to be you know what what real acting is and yeah. the other guy learns how to be himself like that's you know it's funny we talked about you know obviously we dug deep into the marvel movies and the journeys of uh steve rogers and the journeys of iron man and that they switch you know in this weird way that in the end steve rogers has to be selfish and iron man has to be selfless yeah. you know or tony stark has to be selfless that this is a similar journey we have two characters that have to you know, learn how to learn their own lessons. And it's through this conflict that they learn it. I think yeah. that's classic screenwriting. That is the spine of this really, really ridiculous and funny movie. Well, and I think, and that's what's, I don't think you make great points here, Steve, and, and we can connect it up to the other actors here, right? Everyone's on their journey. And I think that's, what's another hallmark of how great of a script this is, right? Jack Black's character, Jeff Portnoy, he's on his own journey because he does drugs because a, no matter how successful he is as an actor, a comedic actor, people are laughing at him and not with him. And that exactly. works on an actor's ego. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how many comedians you've ever met, but there is probably a, 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 a there is not many ins, more insecure people than comedians uh, because they're constantly searching for that laugh. I think that's kind of changed nowadays. Jerry Seinfeld being kind of the change of that little more relaxed comedians, but certainly 
the insecurity of comedians, the desire to go that extra length and trying to get that attention, how that can work on your ego. And certainly we see that something be played out in Jeff's struggle with his addiction. And of course, it leads to some very funny moments, certainly when he's uh, offering to um, perform uh, oral sex on the guys, which is one of the greatest lines in the fucking movie. Uh, but him jumping on a bat because it's taken his jelly beans and trying to suck the blood out of the bat so he could have some of the drug addiction or some of the drugs back in his system. Um, but also we see at the end when he is looking at the Richard Dreyfus mashed potatoes mountain of heroin yes. there um, that he uh, grabs the two amounts of uh, drugs and he's going to do them no matter what Jerry Baruchel is saying to him. But then these two guys come in and they laugh at him because he nervously farts and he explodes and shoves the uh, heroin onto them and knocks them out for what he says is 16 hours. But it's a it's a, a redemption. Because he says to him, like, they're all just going to laugh at me. I've always, they're all people just laugh at me. They never take me seriously. I want to be taken seriously. And why, and the reason he's in this movie is to be taken seriously because yeah. he'd done those fart jokes, but then you, or movies, but then you see him in the movie and he's like uh, spouting nonsense Vietnamese stuff uh, or not a uh, Vietnamese movie type stuff uh, throughout the movie. But it isn't in that, until that moment that he kind of comes full circle. I, I'm going to say two things, and mm. they're contradictory. The first thing I'm going to say is that I think Jack Black has is one of those rare people who has the ability to just be funny with nothing. Yeah. Like yes. Will Ferrell yes. being another one. Will Ferrell, like, I don't even know what Will Ferrell's doing some of the time, <laughs> but he just is, like, suddenly funny. Um, I feel the same way about Jack Black. This yeah. honestly might be one of my least per favorite performances of his. Wow. I, I, yeah, I don't find him as funny as this. He's a little less Jack blackie for me wow. um yeah i mean i he's it's really funny there are tons of funny moments the moment yeah. that you mentioned of the uh fellatio offer is hilarious um swallow the gravy yeah <laughs> i mean that's where jack black is just amazingly funny yeah um but but some of the other stuff i like kind of a little less and maybe it's because i don't see him as the kind of comedian that he's portraying uh -oh. you know what i mean like that, and maybe that's why. Like I, but the 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 Fartersons, or I don't remember what that. What's the movie that the he fatties, does? The fatties. The, the fatties. fatties. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that. So, but he obviously he is really funny. The the yeah. the character that I I came to focus on even more was the um, uh, what's a uh, J Jay Baruchel. Oh, Jay Baruchel's character. Yeah, yeah. Because what I as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, he's the he's the lowest status person at the beginning of the movie. Yes. He's the person that everyone feels comfortable talking down to and bossing around. He's the only guy who read the book. They he's don't the remember his guy. name. They don't remember, they don't his, remember name. his name. Yeah, yeah. He's the only guy who read the script. Yeah. He's the only guy actually seriously trying to do this job. And he's the most heroic per he's the one that needs to rally them. He's actually yeah. the strongest character that's is the one that says, No, no, this is what we have to do, and that we have to go do it, you know. Right. Right, because he's the least he's the person with the least experience of Hollywood. Yeah, so he's the more most real of them because he hasn't been corrupted by Hollywood. He hasn't been spoiled by Hollywood, so he's the more level-headed of them all. But then at the end, he goes right back down to the status yep. because these guys have all come forward uh, on their journeys or come full circle on their journeys and are better men because of it. And so he willingly goes lower down on status in that situation. But yeah, he's a really interesting character because you see him caught in this tug of war between um, a tug and uh, Kurt throughout the whole movie. And then trying to um, take care of Jeff as he's losing his shit with his withdrawals. 
uh, it, it was certainly a, a fantastic performance from Jay Baruchel, who's gone on to do a number of things, uh, and a writer and director as well uh, in his own right, certainly. And I, I like Brandon T. Jackson as well here as Al Pacino. I think he does. I think they find the perfect moments for him to confront Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. We're talking all around the blackface. We're going to get into it for sure. But to confront him and have these back and forths with him and get him back. And he does, in the end, achieve status above him, uh, even though he's not the lead of the He doesn't become the lead of the movie or one of the co-leads of the movie. He does achieve status uh, to the point where it's Kurt who is uh, asking, is, is, is apologizing to him and saying, are we okay? And he says, not really, you know, but there is this, con but that we have him going on this journey of uh, coming to terms with his sexuality and how he's going to do that in Hollywood. So I like that there's a journey with him as well throughout this whole movie um, uh, throughout. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny because this is 2008 and in 2008 is when I made the assistance and that oh. one of the characters is a, actor who has to hide his, his homosexuality because uh, it'll ruin his career and if you yeah. think that's even today not yeah. still a thing you are incorrect it is still a thing yeah yeah I, and, and i love that his name is kevin sandusky because just sandusky just sounds like a midwestern town uh so it's just perfect to show that he's like a, a kind of a new kid on the block so to speak to all of this stuff for sure yeah um so let's take a quick break for our audio steve should we do that and then we'll uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say, yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> uh, and then we'll uh, we'll come back uh, in uh, just a sec. I don't think I have any graphics. So I'm just going to play our theme again. Uh, and we'll be right back uh, right after this. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Now, your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. All right, and we're back for the next part of our show, Steve. I think it's time we uh, jump into this conversation. Um, let's talk about it. Robert Downey Jr. as Lincoln Osiris uh, in the film, still a source of controversy. I read articles today that were written in 2023 that still debate and battle and talk about whether Ben Stiller accomplished what he needed to accomplish by making fun of actors who go too far. Uh, uh, there was a uh, tweet that someone sent out here, this uh, Benny S., who is an R&B singer, a black man, he said, please stop apologizing for doing this movie. It wasn't still as funny as fuck. 
even funnier now with cancel culture the way it is. It's a movie. Y'all can just get over it. I was dying laughing when I first saw it back in the day, and so was everyone else. I'm not going to uh, dignify what he says out there. And Ben Stiller responded and said, I make no, this is 2023. I make no apologies for Tropic Thunder. Don't know who told you that. And he's talking about people who are complaining about it. It's always been a controversial movie since when we opened. Proud of it and the work everyone did in it or on it. Uh, and certainly Robert Downey Jr. Uh, was on with Joe Rogan and said the same thing that like just a couple of years ago, that he's proud of what he did. It would be a difficult movie to make nowadays. because, And he's very sensitive to people's upsetness about the situation. And certainly neither one of us are black men, so we can't speak to it too deeply on a cultural level. But certainly we can understand what, what Ben Stiller was going for and also respect and understand the controversy. Just to give you guys a little more background before we jump too deep into it, he showed this um, to the or, sorry, it took Robert Downey Jr. a one and a half to two hours of makeup application every day to be this character. He said at the end of the day, it's always about how you how well you commit to the character. If I didn't feel it was morally sound or that it would be easily misinterpreted that I'm just like C. Thomas Howell in Soul Man, I would have stayed home. Brandon T. Jackson, who's a co-star in the movie, said, when I first read the script, I was like, what, blackface? But when I saw him, like became, he became a black man. It was just good acting. It was weird on the set because he stayed in character. So he's a method actor, even though he's making fun of method actors here in this. And um, Stiller showed the movie to the NAACP and several black journalists, and they all reacted positively to the character. So just giving a little bit of background, but certainly there have been black journalists and black uh, people in the community who have spoken out about this, even though it is parodying it, they felt it still was in a way getting away with um, black facing a character. And the fact that he is the only actor who was nominated out of the movie adds an even more uh, sense of irony, adds, adds even more of a sense of irony to the situation. So Steve, what are your thoughts on this? And please get them all out, my man. Well, I have many thoughts, as you would imagine. Um, and, and the first thought is that I'm never going to say to someone who's offended by a thing, um, you know, that you're wrong. Like, right, I'm not going to say, like, no, this isn't an issue. Stop being a whiner or like that kind of stuff that we hear sometimes. I'm not I would never say any of that. The first thing I would say is, as you know, and I think I've said it many, many times, I believe in free speech and I believe yeah. in the freedom of the artist to make what the artist wants to make. And sometimes that takes us to places that are going to be more difficult. But I also think that the only way to talk about some things is to make art about them. Yeah. There are all sorts of things in the world that are difficult. There's war and violence and crime and murders and all sorts of things. And we would never say, oh, you know what? War is very painful. People have deep, deep, you know, post traumatic stress from yeah. war we shouldn't make movies about war that would be a ridiculous statement yeah. and the only way to and, and sometimes comedy is the biggest weapon we have to talk about things it's the it's it's the easiest way to explode ideas and so i think to some degree like the point of this movie is to attack blackface, mm -hmm. you know? So like, and you can't attack blackface in a movie without having blackface in a movie. Yeah. Um, Bamboozled, which is the Spike Lee movie, which Oof. is about blackface, which as yeah. we talked about is a movie is really fucking hard. Yeah. It's really fucking funny. It's really fucking painful. And it's a really important film. It's not for everyone maybe, but it is a movie about blackface. And again, you can't explore the ideas of blackface without, you know, doing blackface. Yeah. And so, and the other thing too, is I certainly don't blame the actor. Like that's 
you know, that was the job. Yeah. The, the, uh, the other thing I'll say about it is that, it, you know, part of why blackface is so offensive is its connection to minstrelsy, minstrel shows, yeah. and that it was a way of white actors to mock and demean African-Americans, yes. to caricature them. And then those caricatures, we see them in film throughout, which is that we see all these caricatures of that African-Americans were forced to play these parts in Gone with the Wind and a million yes. other movies that said, this is what you're like. So it isn't, it isn't just the act of putting makeup on. It's what that act of putting that makeup on is connected to in American history. Yeah. And what's interesting to me about this particular performance, and you know, this is obviously a huge topic we talk a lot, <laughs> talk a long time on. Yeah. But what's interesting to me about this performance is this character that he plays of you know, Lazarus is a caricature. Yes. You know, is right. that that's part of the point is that here we have the idea that, oh, this great method actor and he's, you know, and his deep moment is quoting from the Jeffersons. Yes. Like yeah. he's playing what a white person's image of a black sergeant in the Vietnam War would be like, yeah. you know, not what the actual what a real deep three dimensional character would be like. Right. And so he still commenting on this idea of blackface and 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 the one other thing i'll say and you, you said say it all so that's what i'm doing yeah please I, please go ahead yeah the one other thing i'd say is i do think that where we put the border on when it's okay and when it's not okay for someone to play something ex that is somewhat different from what they are the first thing is is it a caricature and offensive and i think yeah. wipe out mickey rooney in yes. fucking you know Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah. John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Like they're yes. just absolutely fucking ridiculous, reductive things. Yeah. I also think, you know, you said Eli Wallach is an honorary Latino in Magnificent Seven. I yeah. know you love George Chakuris in West Side Story. He's Greek. Like Marlon Brando and James Khan are not Italian, and yet they play amazing Italian Americans in The Godfather. So, like, but none of those are caricatures. Right. Right. None of those are demeaning the person. Now, where we're going to draw these boundaries of where it is unacceptable, and I think it's really good that we are redrawing those boundaries. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it gets it, we get into sort of like you know you are of Bolivian descent, so yeah. can you play someone of Colombian descent? Right. I think that's where we're headed, where it becomes super specific about who is playing what. I'm already seeing people getting upset about the casting for Lilo and Stitch, the live action casting. Because they're saying you're not casting actresses from or actors from that particular section of uh, that area of the world. You're not casting them specifically uh, from that, from like either the southern or the western or the eastern or the northern section that they uh, are setting. Of Hawaii? Of, of Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah, they were, they were saying some of the, some of the complaints have been that they're not focusing more. We saw this in In the Heights where Lin-Manuel Miranda, just to get a Latino musical out the door should have been enough. But we saw Latinos, we saw other people coming forward saying, I'm not going to see the movie because you've painted Washington Heights to have absolutely no people of darker color in your movies. And that isn't representing our section. So I'm of two minds about it because I'm like, let us get through the door. Then we yeah. can start being super specific and down the road. But if you're not even coming to the shit that's getting us through the door, we're not even going to get to the point where we get to be specific about how and what area of, you know, how many people of what darker skin color or whatever in the Latin community. And of course, I understand the argument. I understand why darker skin people could get upset in the Latin community. That's always been a thing. That is not just in the black community. That exists in the Latino community as well, in the Hispanic community. 
So I understand the grievances and they're fair grievances. I just think we got to get through the door first. Then we can start, you know, being specific. And I I sometimes get uh, confused about some of the anger that comes through there for sure. Um, Steve, you make that. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, if I could just say two things. This is actually, I've been thinking about this a lot. Mm -hmm. And I actually think there's a topic for an upcoming cinephile short I would like to discuss with you that deals with this issue. But the the, the big thing that I keep feeling is, people don't understand how hard movies are to make and people don't understand how hard casting is, is that you're looking for an actor who fucking pops. And if you have, you know, six actors who just were blew the doors off and this was the shade of their, they're all Latino and this is the shade of their skin. And you go like, Oh, I can go with an actor who I didn't get along with as well, but didn't pop as much with darker skin. I mean, we get into some weird areas in terms of what being an artist is, you know? And so like, and it's not that I think we shouldn't be thinking about these issues, but the primary job of the artist is to make great art. Yeah. Like if, if you're going, my primary job is to represent perfectly evenly in exact equal numbers to the population of this area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and in particular, like, well, are they from North Maui or South Maui? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. we get into like some weird stuff where you're not being an artist anymore, in my opinion. Well, it all depends on I think it's a case by case basis, Steve. I don't think anything applies. I agree. hundred percent. Right. In a yeah. general way that it used to before. I think you made excellent points about the fact that you can play these characters as long as they're not becoming caricatures. I think that's where the line is. And that's an excellent point you bring up. And I think the same thing applies when you're looking at it, trying to be hyper specific. Certainly you should strive to cast actors who are from those areas or from absolutely. That. But if they're not available, they're not there. You have these casting calls. No one shows up that fits then you've got to go to your next available option and explore people who maybe are not from those areas, but can convincingly play uh, these characters so that the movie gets made and the overall point of the movie still affects people who are watching it. If it is to highlight that area of the world and uplift that area of the world by having a spotlight being a spotlight being put on it, that's certainly a part of it um, as well. When you look at it and look, um, you talk about blackface, this is still something that's in the news Nowadays, unfortunately, recently, Richard Dreyfus complained about it because we've got these new diversity requirements from the Oscars uh, stating what films qualify uh, to be considered for best pictures. And there are diversity requirements uh, for these films. And it's a new um, inclusion standards that are part of this, uh, which of course, started happening because of the Oscars. So white campaign in 2015 uh, and Dreyfus commented on it and said, I don't think that there is a minority or a majority in this country that has to be catered to like that. It's an art and no one should be telling me as an artist that that I have to give in to the latest, most current idea of what morality he is. And he said that Laurence Olivier was the last white actor to play Othello, which of course is not true, referring to the 1965 film. And he said he played it brilliantly. Am I being told that I will never have a chance to play a black man? Dreyfus said, is someone else being told that if they're not Jewish, they shouldn't play the Merchant of Venice? Are we crazy? Do we not know what that art? Do we not know that art is art? Um, and the the interviewer pushed back, saying a difference between the question of representation and who is allowed to represent other groups, and the case of blackface, given the history of slavery and sensitives and the sensitives around black racism. What about that? Which is something Steve brought up here just a few minutes ago. And Dreyfus said there shouldn't be because it's patronizing because it says that we're so fragile that we can't have our feelings hurt. So an actor that both you and I very much respect, Steve, even in 2023, there's a pushback from white actors who want to have the, just the chance to play a black character down the road. That's insane to me on so he, many levels. 
he, he uh, for me, and I like I like many 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 Richard Dreyfuss performances. Yeah, he ruins his argument in there because like, are you are you saying that you don't you know like these these diversity requirements to be nominated for an Oscar? I have mixed feelings about that. I don't have any mixed feelings about saying we need more diversity in our film world, yeah. and in particular. The, the most important place that I think we need diversity is in executives, studio heads, producers, and directors, because yeah, yeah. those are the people that make decisions. And if you just have all white folk up there, yeah. they'll naturally tend to be drawn to stories that feature white people and stories that they understand. And they're not going to make more diverse stories. Exactly. That is the first and most important place we need to have things diverse. Yeah. I think it's sort of weird. Like if you... If you and I made a, a short film, I don't think these requirements exist on short films, and it was awesome, and we had a small crew, and it wasn't terribly diverse. Yeah. I mean, The Cinephiles is two, two guys. You know, It's not the most diverse show. And in particular, we have continually talked about how the you know can we, do, we don't do enough movies that are directed by women. We don't do enough movies of this. You know, What are our guests? And right. I think you and I can continually go, we could do better. Right. We certainly bring but, on people of color. And certainly I'm a person. We have. But we you are. try to bring more women. And you're Jewish. And we try to bring more women sure. onto the show. It's not always easy to do. It's not always scheduling wise and, and what have you. But certainly it's something we are continually focusing on and working on, as Steve said. Yeah. But if there was a podcast award that said, in order to win this award, you must have a woman on their podcast, mm. I would go, that feels weird. You know, like, well, see, and there's a difference. I would be like, okay, let's get a woman on the podcast. I, I, I don't have my hangups about that kind of stuff, but I don't think you're alone, Steve. Certainly Jeff Snyder on the hot mic, uh, me and him battled about this for about 15 minutes on one of the recent episodes about it. And my complaint, my thing was, you know what? White people have had it their way for decades and you've I been agree. able to nominate and give those people um, uh, the awards and what have you, while you've ignored an incredible amount of fantastic black cinema that has fought to be seen, or people of color cinema, Asian cinema, uh, uh, Latino cinema that has fought to be seen by anybody uh, and gave yourself awards. So great. Now that the Academy kind of tries to swing the pendulum back, all these white artists coming forward complaining about it. It's like, have some perspective. Like, let it swing the other way for a little bit. It's okay. We're all going to fucking live. It'll, and then it'll swing back, we'll even out, and then we'll be fine. That's how these things work. So although I respect your position, I don't have an issue with the Oscars having a diversity quotient to it. I'd be happy to adhere to that if I was making a movie that I thought could be nominated for an Oscar. I'd have no problem adhering to that. It would actually force me to work even harder to make sure I could hit those requirements. And that's a good thing, in my opinion. But again, I respect your, your point of view being mixed about it for sure. And I certainly and I agree with you on all the points you made about what the Oscars have been like, who's run Hollywood. Yeah. And I and I agree with you also that if the pendulum's going to swing a little too far the other way right now. But I also think, in my, you know, my opinion is, well, when's too far and that in order for it to swing back when it starts to get too far, you have to go, uh, OK, you know, we're yeah. getting a little too far. And that's how it swings back. Yeah. And I think we've always managed to do that kind of instinctively as a populace. Right. I feel like we've eventually figured out, OK, we got to push this thing back uh, and what have you. So like like gay marriage was the fight for so long. And then all of a sudden it felt like overnight uh, yep. all these states were OK with it. And now we're having this pushback from the right about it. And so we'll see how that all plays itself out over the next few years. Um, yeah. A drug developer brings up a great point. The far right news applauded what Dreyfus said about playing blackface and him being able to play a black man. But then they sent Haley ba Bailey. Halle Bailey, rather, death threats for playing a black mermaid because they dare to 
cast a white role with a black act or a white animated role with a black actress in live action. Yeah, you've got to be consistent here. And certainly that's a fair point to bring up, Doug, the inconsistency the, of those that, that one's so just so ridiculous. It's yeah. like it's yeah. it's a fucking mermaid. They don't exist. There's <laughs> yeah. you know, like there's nothing that says that that character is white. That yeah. character is a mermaid, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's always a case by case basis, right? Because I mean, I love Natalie Wood as Maria in West Side Story. I would never recast her in that film. She's incredible in that film. But today you wouldn't cast it that way. Right, you wouldn't, right? And when you didn't, yeah. you got Rachel right. Zegler, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you look at Ramon Vargas from one of our favorite films, A Touch of Evil. Heston does, I think Heston does an admirable job as playing Vargas in that movie. He doesn't bother me as much in that movie. But like you said, you look at uh, you look at uh, John Wayne playing that character. That's really tough to see. Uh, you look at Joel Edgerton and Christian Bale uh, as Ramses and Moses in Exodus, Gods and Kings. And that was horrific to see what they tried to brownface them uh, to be a part of. Or maybe Fisher Stevens in Short Circuit is a problem. But then I look at Alec Guinness as Prince Faisal, and that's essentially brownfacing. Yet don't I don't forget. have a problem with him as, as Prince Faisal because he's so believable and it's not a caricature. But of course, you would never do that today. Well, don't forget Anthony Quinn, too. I mean, uh, yes, right. Yes. You know, who Mexican. I know that you love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this is well, and this is first of all, intent matters. That's yes. one thing. And yeah. and like when you have these demeaning versions like Mickey Rooney, that's fucking terrible. Yeah, the second yeah. thing is we is that I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me so strongly when we did Godfather was that there'd never been an Italian American that made a mob movie yeah. and all of the detail and all of the stuff that Coppola brings from his own family and his own experience. Yeah. This is the, the, and again, I want to go back to how do you make great art? And part of how you make great art is cast people that can bring new things to the thing. Right. And if you cast Alec Guinness, as amazing as a performance is, and I agree with you, it's a fantastic performance. Yeah. Knows nothing about what it's like to be uh, an Arab. You know, and so we what we don't know is what another actor with a different background might have brought to that role. Yeah. You know, and so this Good is, point. you know, yeah. you know, and this is the thing. And, you know, it's like when you find and I'm telling you and I, I think you've been in some casting rooms like this and certainly yeah. as an actor, you've been in a casting room. Yeah. You watch person after person after person come in and they can be great fucking actors. And you're yeah. just like, no, nope, that's not it. That's not it. It's that's not the not right it. person. Yeah. And then someone walks in and you just go holy shit that's it and when you go holy shit that's it like yeah. i i'm not looking at like what what their specific background is and and this is and on, this is you know a tease of what this short i'd like to talk to you about is yeah because i think we have all sorts of aspects of our identity one of which might be race but it isn't the only one it's like right. you're a, you're a veteran would you rather someone was cast who was a veteran of and had served in yeah. to play a military role or that they matched up in terms of race you know, perfectly. Yeah. And, and it's like, this is it's like, there are a million things that humans have been part of their personality and yeah. different ones come to the fore at different moments, you know, and it's, yeah. and race is one of them, Yeah, but it isn't sure. the only one, you know? Yeah. But again, it's always a case by case basis, you know? Exactly. So I always, yeah. I always, uh, I, and I'm learning, not always, I'm learning now in my later days to look at it in that way, you know, in the times past generalization, generalization, just to get the point across. But the truth is, you've got to look at it as a case-by-case -case basis. It depends on the situation, the factors involved, and who's behind it, what's going on, all of those kinds of things. And I think that's important to consider.
in, in situations like this. So yeah, I'm down to have that conversation with us in a fall short uh, for sure. Yeah. So what, what is your overall thoughts here uh, before we hit another commercial break uh, and get into some more things about the movie, but then also our Patreon stuff announcements that we want to make on uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Lincoln Osiris here. We, as we said, Brandon T. Jackson's Al Pacino, Al Pacino calls him out throughout the movie in a number of situations. Um, and uh, so what do you mean you people um, and then it's the best, it, which is great. Puts it on the nose and says, you know, I'm just mad because like, you know, they had one black character in the movie and they went and got a black guy or a white guy to play the, the, uh, the character an Australian to play the character. And we see the hypocrisy in it, right? Because the, they, the studio was willing to pay for this controversial surgery over casting an actual black man. They were willing to do that rather than casting an actual black man just so they could sell the movie. There's a real strong shot at Hollywood with that. And Brandon T. Jackson as Al Pacino calling that out in the movie, I think is powerful, but also the hypocrisy of Lincoln Osiris getting upset at Alpa making these Australian jokes. And look, they're funny jokes, but he's taking them personally, especially the dingo eating the babies. Lady really lost a kid. You know, you see that. (laughs) Uh, coming through here so the fact that he's so unself-aware that he is portraying a caricature of a black man in a film like this but getting mad at the actual black man who's making fun of australians which is what he's doing as, as making fun of black men so it's an interesting situation when you look at it uh, throughout the movie and the progression what are your well, thoughts on it as we wrap up this discussion well this is why i really feel the only way you can make the points that the film is making is by doing what the film did yeah, like you can't have this because con- th- it's not just about black men and white men. You know, we were just oh, uh, the in the uh, our next film we had yeah. a discussion about yeah. how they added Americans to a story that Americans weren't really involved in because that's how they felt they could sell the movie. Yeah. And this happens all the time. We change the story, change the reality in order to make the thing that we think people will buy, and yeah. so they go, oh, there's this great you know multi academy award winning actor right. w- that'll help us sell our movie and so let's put him in and do this thing not thinking about all the insensitiveness and the the inaccuracy and the ridiculousness of it um as far as Robert Downey Jr's performances uh, i was wondering if one of us were going to do his voice and you just did wow. is he so he, it's so good at being what it is but here is my question for you yeah at any time watching him do you think that is black man yeah the whole time me too. Yeah, which me is me too, and it's in it. I don't know if that's an indictment on me because, like, it's so believable the type of black man that he's exactly. playing because we've seen that on screen before. Because as I said, Al Pacino calls him Al Pacino calls him Chicken George, which is a reference yeah. to Roots, which right. was a character that we saw and in green, that, yeah. those of you who saw that show back in the seventies. It's obviously still available now to watch, but yeah. So he's calling out these caricatures that uh, Kurt is falling back on to create Lincoln Osiris. No, that's what I think. Cause you, you said it perfectly is like, he does a perfect job playing a fake caricature of a black man that we have seen over and over and over again. Right. I think it is. I think it's a great performance. And, and I think, and it, and what's it, and it has all of these meta levels because you know, you're watching Robert Downey Jr. And yes, you know you're right. watching Robert Downey Jr. play Kirk Lazarus, play this African-American yeah. sergeant. And so you never stop being aware of that. Yeah. And so everything that he says 
is just gets funnier and funnier. And particularly when you get into the, I'm just a dude playing another dude, <laughs> yeah. pretending to be another dude, or whatever the line is. Yeah. And there I had to do the voice too. Yeah. Like, it's just that scene is so cathartic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think his performance is great. Yeah, I mean, and to back that up, back in 2008, the BFCA, the Broadcast Film Critics Association, nominated Downey for Best Supporting Actor and awarded Traffic Thunder its Best Comedy. Downey and Cruz received nominations for Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor. The Boston Society of Film Critics recognized the cast with its Best Ensemble Award. And Downey was also nominated by the SAG Awards and by the British, by the BAFTAs for Best Supporting Actor. So that tells you that people within the craft saw and understood and appreciated what Robert Downey Jr. was doing. And I think that's where sometimes the line can get. Journalists, although they can watch actors and appreciate actors, there's something different between being what you are as an actor and understanding someone plying their trade because you're an actor yourself and someone who's watching it from the outside who's never done it. You know, I wouldn't trust an actor to tell me the greatest writers, uh, greatest uh, journalists ever. I would trust journalists to tell me who the greatest journalists are because they have an inside understanding of how well a piece was constructed or a series of pieces were constructed. Just like actors can tell you who is the better. I don't think the Academy would. I usually focus more on SAG. Because I think those are the actors who look at performances and really take it seriously and understand who is plying their craft incredibly well in a certain role. So the fact that they nominated both BAFTA and SAG nominated Robert Downey Jr. for that performance, uh, to me, signals that they understood how the levels that he was playing. Um, and although that line is played for laughs, I'm the dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. It is actually what he's doing. And that's yeah. what's incredible about it because he's legitimately playing that so well so that when he has the T-1000 moment, which is the Terminator 2 reference, where he's becoming all the different characters as he's taking off the different <laughs> layers of himself, um, it works so well because you've bought into what he was doing uh, as Lincoln Osiris. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great point. And the, the one thing I just add to it, it just yeah. relating to our previous part of our conversation, is sure. I think when people frequently today, yeah. when they go see a movie they'd layer on top of it their political opinions oh, sure, sure, sure. and then decide whether or not to be angry or not angry, to like it, support it, not support it, based on how it conforms or doesn't conform to those opinions, right. rather than just seeing this as a piece of art and go, did I like it, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I think it's a great performance. I think that, you know, as art goes, they did a really good job of trying to do what they were trying to do, and it fully entertained me. That's what I think. Yeah. And it opened the door to him having a breakthrough moment as a human yeah. being and realizing I've been using this method acting to have an air of superiority over others when because I've been afraid to be myself. Because what do all actors say? I mean, Wells was notorious for that. Wells hated being himself when he was acting and was always putting on fake noses or trying to put stuff on himself so that he would at least have some feeling that he was someone else other than himself when he was playing his roles. A lot of actors feel that way. That's why a lot of actors can't watch themselves on screen or go to premieres and like sneak out because they don't want to watch themselves because they actually don't have a healthy opinion about themselves. And so they disappear. You know, I used to call acting a commercial form of mental illness because you're, you're the people who can really do it well 
are the people who can become other people so believably that it really unsettles you how well they become those characters. Uh, and it's a fo- it's like right on the edge of schizophrenia that you can actually become this thing believably. And it's so I always think that and I think that's an element of what Robert Downey Jr. was doing. Oh, yeah. And that's why you cast someone like Robert Downey Jr. in a role like that. It was a blessing that Ben got him to do the movie because Robert was able to right at the beginning of the rebirth of Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. He was able to bring all the life experience that he's gone through. And trust me, I think that reference when he's talking about um, uh, when he was doing Neil Armstrong and they, uh, you know, I was in the, I was in the tilt area. I was trying to re-enter the earth's atmosphere in a cardboard box in an alley right. in Burbank. That's a reference to Robert Downey Jr.'s issue with drug addiction and being in a hotel room that wasn't his half naked running through the alleys that happened in yeah. downtown LA. So that is a legitimate reference to stuff he's gone through. And I, and I appreciated that throughout the movie for sure well and just going back to what you were saying before about Mm. dropping character and stuff i remember there's a quote from peter sellers that he Mm. didn't really think he existed like he didn't have a personality unless he was playing a character right 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 right. yeah exactly so uh but let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into uh another controversial part of the movie for sure steve and uh have a conversation about simple jack uh right after this all right steve simple jack this is a tough one for sure when we talk about um characters uh, this is something that ben stiller plays in the movie and i think there's much more how to say this legitimate criticism on, on yeah. for me when you talk about the idea of simple jack here uh in the movie because certainly um when you look at it this i get that they were sending up forrest gump they were sending up rain man certainly there's a conversation between him and lincoln osiris in the uh jungle there uh, where he says, you never go full R word. I'm not going to say that word. I just don't want to say that word ever. Get the practicing the word in, a, anymore ever again. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a commentary about actors and bringing up I Am Sam, that Sean went so method with that, that he didn't win the award, but Tom Hanks won it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman won it. So a parody of that. But then seeing him playing this character and seeing how ridiculous it, it is, it is played for laughs. But it isn't played for laughs in a sensitive way. And certainly there was a lot of pushback from um, a number of disability organizations who felt that that was the real crime in the movie as opposed to the blackface, which was made for a point. Uh, This one didn't quite hit the point as hard as it should have um, in its portrayal. What did you think of Simple Jack in the movie and how that all came out? And what do you think of the controversy around it? I, I, I agree with you. I think this one does have more merit. And it was funny, I was thinking about I mean, it used to be, I mean, I used that R word. That was just like sure. oh, when you insulted someone. I mean, do you remember oh. there was that era, there was a certain era where we would just say, oh, that's so gay. There's yeah. a negative of a thing. And it's like, how did we, do, why did we say that? Like, what, what was wrong with us? Right. And this is one that I think they knew that blackface was a problem. They right. knew that Hollywood had, had a history of doing this thing and they knew how to properly explode it and how yeah. to make fun of it and its ridiculousness. Yeah. What's difficult with Simple Jack is, and it's not that Robert Downey Jr.'s character isn't funny, and you are laughing at it, but you're laughing at you're not laughing at a care uh, at black people. Right. You're laughing right. at an actor. Right. Whereas when you get to Simple Jack, yet yes, to some degree you're laughing laughing at this terrible actor Tug Speedman right. and his horrible performance, but it's also laughing at people that have mental issues. And yeah. so like, and particularly with the, you know, the, the drug enclave and that they love this movie and why, yes. you know, like, like you get and doing this parody of the thing where he's performing it again. And it just yeah. gets into the, 
oh yeah this it doesn't feel as good it has we've now learned because and it's interesting because it's like well until this group found a voice yeah. they didn't tell us that using that r word is really really hurtful and mm -hmm. so once we found out that we go oh yeah that's something we need to be a lot more sensitive about and that discovery is before this is after this movie right you know yeah yeah um there were 20 a coalition of more than 20 disability advocacy groups including the special olympics and the arc of the united states who objected to the film's repeated use of the word the r word um uh and so that even at even in 2008 people understood that that word was not good they were trying to get people to see it as not good in the mainstream DreamWorks offered to screen the film for the groups on August 8th to determine if it still offended him. The screening was postponed to the same day of the premiere. That's mm. really shady. After representatives for the groups attended the private screening were still offended by its content, the groups picketed outside the film's premiere. With Timothy Shriver, who's the chairman of the Special Olympics, stated, this population struggles too much with, with the basics to have to struggle against Hollywood. We're sending a message that this hate, spe hate speech is no longer acceptable uh, and so, yeah, a, a number of people came forward. Stiller defended what they were doing. The co-writer Eaton Cohen on the film defended what they were doing. But I think in the end, um, it, you understand that that's the more legitimate. I don't want to say legitimate. In my opinion, that's the criticism that rings yeah. sure when you look at it because they didn't offer a counter to that. They didn't offer anyone calling out Ben or calling out Tug for doing this. It was more a matter that the film didn't make money. The film right. wasn't successful. And he wasn't good portraying the character because Lincoln told him he went too, or Kurt told him he went too far instead of really commenting on the fact that he even thought to do it. That's what someone should have made. And even Maria Menounos, unfortunately, uh, makes, a, uh, makes a joke in the film where she's going, M -m -m -m, this type of stutter stuttering thing, which I think was made for laughs at the time. It's certainly probably funny in the theaters, but now in retrospect, it's a terrible joke to be making when you're, addressing a disability situation or character in the movie, even if it's a character being played by an actor who's not disabled in the film. Yeah. Well, you know, let's look at the, mm -hmm. the standard that we came up with earlier, which is we said, you know, there's a difference when it's a positive portrayal. Yes. And right. so, you know, Eli Wallach or George Shakiris or Anthony Quinn or Alec Guinness, like those are ones that we go like, that was a great performance. There's a nobility. Yes. There, yes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas simple Jack and, and, and Lincoln Osiris, is a caricature but he is a positive caricature right yes simple jack is a joke and yeah. the joke is what that is now part of that joke is created by tug speedman's terrible performance right but like we're as opposed to forrest gump like and yeah. and i don't i haven't watched forrest gump in a long time i don't know how i would feel about it watching it today but like you can't say that forrest gump is not a positive character it's as positive a character as you could possibly imagine yeah. and they want you to to feel and care deeply about that character that is not what's happening with Simple Jack and Tropic Thunder. Yeah, you know? it would be interesting because I have a, I had a, I had a, a number of friends who were overseas uh, when I went to study, mm. and they um, made fun of Forrest Gump because they saw it as that's such a perfectly American film that someone who is slow would stumble into all these events, and so they saw it as a way of showing that even the dumbest American can succeed at all these levels and so they found an offense of that to um, overall which i thought was an interesting 
take on the film that I never quite saw in that way. But I don't know. I'm not a European person. I don't know if maybe they see. Maybe it we way. should do. I, I I don't know how. I literally don't know how I feel about Forrest Gump anymore. I did yeah. like it a lot when it came out. Sure. I think I'd have a really different reaction today. Yeah. There's a there's a lot about the message of that movie. It's very. I don't know. There's some there's some weird stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe it would be a good watch along or a good live show to discuss it um down Maybe. the line because it would be interesting yeah. to see how we how we react to it um another character we should talk about steve this is a big one tom cruise is les grossman tom cruise oh, yeah. as, les, as we mentioned 2008 this essentially revitalized tom cruise's career along with a couple other projects that he had around this time that brought him back including mission impossible 3 which of course i already showed you the clip of that ben stiller makes fun of in the movie but yeah les grossman here incredibly iconic and memorable role arguably maybe one of tom cruise's best performances ever at the time put incredible amount of makeup on himself to make himself look this way the meaty hands was definitely a harvey weinstein reference and the meaty forearms as well uh and the behavior as we've seen now certainly if you guys have seen she said that incredible movie that's on peacock now about the two journalists that exposed harvey weinstein's uh, antics in the new york times um, you hear about the overwhelming uns and unsettling demeanor of this man and how rude and horrible he could be to people and play victim um, in the next beat. So that sounds familiar to somebody we know. Uh, but yeah, all of that here. But there was also controversy around this, Steve. So first, let me get your thoughts about Tom Cruise's performance here, but also the controversy that came up that a non-Jewish actor like Tom Cruise was playing what they deemed to be a Jewish to executive mentions Purim has the necklace like all these things so what did you as a Jewish man I'm asking you what do you think about the performance and what do you think about the criticism that was low-key happening as well about it being a bit of an anti-semitic thing it's so funny because I I didn't even know there was controversy about that oh, we've really? literally yeah. been having this discussion the whole uh podcast or the whole live show about what you know when it's appropriate for people to play things that, that is not them <laughs> And I will just say, <laughs> speaking only for myself as a Jewish man, yeah, us Jews have played everything. We played all the parts. We played the Italians. We played the Irish. We played Germans. We played. We played because Jews were, you know, disproportionately powerful in Hollywood. There are tons and tons of Jewish actors. If you listen to Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, you can hear about all sorts of people who are Jewish. Yeah. And like, I just, I give my full dispensation to tom cruise and anyone else you're welcome to play us just do a good job and let me say fucking tom cruise uh, for a movie that i love and is great top to yeah. bottom every time tom cruise is on screen he steals the whole fucking movie it yes. is i wish there was like we've never seen this guy yeah, like yeah. the the comedy chops, the ridiculousness, the over the topness, and it's funny. We've said this many times, and I'm going to say it again. And I think it's almost true for this film as well. Yeah. Is there are all sorts of satires about Hollywood? And before I came to Hollywood, I thought they were all satires. And having <laughs> been here, I've gone, oh, the player swimming with sharks, you know, whichever big picture, whichever Sweet one you want to name. Success. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah that's all true. It's all like this. Yeah. And while I don't know that anyone has, you know, just said, let that person die, we'll make more on the insurance. Like, is is that farther than has ever happened? I don't know. It is a fucking horrible place. Harvey Weinstein is a truly horrible, awful person. Even, it, it, God, I just say that's the weirdest fucking thing. He yeah. committed terrible, terrible crimes that yes, we know about that he's in jail for. 
and he should be in jail for him. And I'm going to say that even if he hadn't done any of those things, he was still a fucking horrible person. Yes. You know, and and I am certain that he yelled and screamed at people like this. I am certain that he dangled money and power and intimidated and did all of that shit because that is the way many, many people are in Hollywood. And Tom Cruise sends that shit up so beautifully. And I think we could do a whole fucking analysis just on the way he dances because, Oh my God. Yeah, it is fucking having it in the credits. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Which is a great reference, kind of like Pulp Fiction, where you see Travolta dance again after it had been such a long time since Saturday Night Fever and Grease. Seeing him dance again in Pulp Fiction was a great callback. Seeing Tom Cruise dance again in this movie was a callback to him dancing in a Risky Business. Sure. Uh, and even the MTV Movie Awards did a parody where they had Les Grossman show up on set. Tom Cruise dresses it's on the Risky Business set, rips off Tom Cruise's pants and says, now that's what you're supposed to do. Go and dance now. <laughs> And so how funny to play himself, sending up himself in a way in all of that. And uh, by the way, we have to give credit to Eaton Cohen for coming up with that. He is the one who uh, Justin Thoreau and uh, Ben Stiller credit for coming up with that. Uh, in 2002, he came up with the idea for Tom, for this character of Les Grossman. He said, we were, quote, quote, we were still figuring out why the actors would get abandoned and no one would notice that all of these stars were gone. So I'd written this throwaway thing at the side of the document that said, maybe the studio had an insurance policy on production. When the director dies, they recoup all their expenses. So the studio doesn't care about the actors. Then we totally went away from that for years and eventually found their way back there. But Tom Cruise already read the script and claimed that there was a need for another villain because he was originally going to play the Ben Stiller character, Tom Cruise, and Mm. set up himself as an action hero in all of this because everyone's always said like Tom Cruise can't act. He can only do action. Then of course he did Magnolia, whatever. So it would have been really interesting to see him play it. But his, his idea to show the studio had actually fixed a problem we had for a long time. We never cut back to the real world. This has been stiller for any of the previous drafts, all the Grossman scenes totally fixed the plot holes. So um, yeah, Tom brought the energy, the hair, he, he came up with the look, as I said, the hair, the makeup, the prosthetics, all of that uh, with uh, was involved with this. And, um, the um, makeup designer for uh, Interview with a Vampire, M- Michelle Burke, is the one who helped him come up with all this with the big hands and all of that. Um, and it was during the makeup test that Tom Cruise started to have the feeling of dancing. So he's the one that even came up, according to him. You know, you never know with superstars or whatever, but sure. according to him, he's the one that came up with uh, having um, the dancing and having him dance uh, as the character, so to speak. So, um, so just interesting stuff uh seeing him do all of this stuff and certainly it took about an hour to an hour and a half to put the makeup on him to play the character so certainly kind of committed in the same way that robert Downey jr was for the lincoln osiris stuff but i you're right steve he steals every damn scene he's in he's just so god fucking good man it was a great and it was a great way to redeem him as well right tom cruise to play a character like this play comedy to make it work the way uh they did um anything more that we should say about the film i mean we're an hour and 20 minutes into our discussion steve uh, we're almost as long as the film is there anything oh i should bring up some references actually steve unless you have something you want to bring up here just one one quick yeah, one which is because i hadn't seen the movie in forever yeah i couldn't remember what decision matthew mcconaughey makes about the oh, g5 yes. plane and the money right. versus his client who's his friend so when he does show up ridiculous ridiculously in the middle of the jungle <laughs> delivering the TiVo I felt yeah. so, I was so happy because I was like oh good I didn't want him to turn to the dark side I'm glad he brought the TiVo and and it came in handy to yep. parody the missile in the first part of the movie 
the missile getting hit and exploding by the helicopter, uh, the TiVo being the thing that stops the missile from hitting the helicopter. It works so well. Um, there are some references in the film to other all these other movies, for sure. As we mentioned, the mountain of mashed potatoes. There's the mountain of heroin for uh, Jeff Portnoy that he looks at. When we see uh, um, Robert Downey Jr., when we see Link, uh, Kurt and, um, and Tug having the conversation at the end with the dude playing the dude, it's a parody of uh, Deer Hunter when Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken are having this conversation when De Niro is trying to take him out of the uh, the uh, Russian roulette. This is later on in the movie. This is initially in the movie, but you see the bamboo sticks and all that mm -hmm. behind him. It's very much a parody of that. Also, and this is interesting, Steve, because this is a film we've talked about for quite some time. Nick Nolte's character is a parody of the gentleman from the best years of our lives. Mm. And I don't know if you caught that when you were watching. I didn't catch it at all until I was doing research for this uh, show that he was a parody of this character here from Best Years of Our Lives, who is played by Harold Russell, the character's Homer Parrish. Harold Russell actually served in World War II and is he was uh, training paratroopers, I believe, when he held when he picked up some dynamite and exploded in his hand. So that was a bit of a reference to that, not parody, I guess, a reference to it. I guess I would say is a better way to look at it. And you look at this scene here, Rambo Two, even getting parodied a little bit by a tug speedman here being elevated and dropped into the water, just like uh, Stallone was in Rambo to telling the director to cut uh, throughout. And there's of course a number of references to other films. Certainly when Tug has the explosion and he's kind of like half deaf, that's a reference to Tom Hanks in, in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and uh, there's a, a bunch of other ones throughout. There's even a line from Hamburger Hill that's used as well, uh, which is a, a, a uh, little known but beloved uh, film about Vietnam, for sure. Are there any other references that you think are great when you're watching the movie that I hadn't haven't quite highlighted yet? No, I think I think you got the big ones, and I, and I think you know it is the the Vietnam War milieu that it, <laughs> it really it really gets. Um, I I do think, yeah, I, I I think those I think you got all the big ones, and I think it's that's what's really great is that oh we're satiring two things because we're yeah. satiring Hollywood. And we're satiring war movies and our perception of war movies. How about the, you're a director, you've been a director. How, how about this uh, um, parody of Steve Coogan as the director on out of control set, getting punched by a key grip because the Hollywood studio head told him to do it. Uh, and then um, how he ends up dying by stepping on the mine. So the death is, is shocking and hilarious. <laughs> and all the stuff with the head is just. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, it's funny, and I watched the unrated version, so I, I don't know how much more. But there was a lot of gore and just you oh, know yeah. that yeah. there's a lot of head stuff that went on that's just disgusting. I think he is a terrible, terrible director. <laughs> He's <laughs> awful, and and the fact I mean, and the thing is, is shit doesn't go down that way. You, you know, yeah. like you can't. It's not like the, the the whole saying cut when the jets are coming to drop the napalm and the guy on the explosion and even doing the we've just randomly rigged the jungle and we're going to blow stuff up like all that stuff right. is insane and of course would never happen um yeah the and i also don't understand why les grossman gave this gig to this guy yeah you know i don't think he's made a very good choice and the fact that he would just throw out his whole movie and go let's just go do it gorilla I'm not going to say that he deserves what he gets, but as uh, directors go, I'm not going to put him on the Mount Rushmore with Kurosawa <laughs> and Wells and Kubrick. And, you know, it's not going up there. Yeah. I mean, the Nick Nolte character is, of course, played for laughs because, you know, the, even the opening crawl there about how four people survived, three wrote books, two were published, one was made into the movie. 
um, he was serving in the Coast Guard. So that's also a part of this, yeah. that you see the fakeness of Hollywood where people try to convince you that they have a higher credential in a certain area than they do. Uh, him claiming he was part of this whole uh, uh, platoon in Vietnam, and he never was. He was on the Coast Guard and never saw any action. So we see that. And, of course, the Danny McBride character who you talk about, um, uh, Cody, him being one of these guys as explosive experts. I've been on films and TV shows with people like this. They are legitimately like this. They are unset. Some of them, not all, obviously. Some of them are legitimately unset unsettling. Some of them have a couple of screws loose, at least one, if not more. And they have a weird, sick fascination with the explosions that they can render on set. There are certainly many, many more who are very responsible about these kinds of things. But certainly, Steve, we've seen stuff on out of control productions where people can be quite dangerous uh, and be caught up with doing these explosions and what have you. So I think Cody is a very funny character throughout the movie as well. A hundred percent agree. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I liked blowing things up when I was uh, 11. Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> if you still really like blowing stuff up in your thirties, you know, yeah. I hope you don't have too many screws loose because it's dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous for sure. Um, all right. Is there anything more that we should hit on that I we haven't talked about about this movie? I feel like we have done a, a sound job in discussing <laughs> this very important piece of cinematic art. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we don't give enough, enough love to Ben Stiller's direction. I thought his direction was really good in here, Steve, as well. Uh, directing yep. yourself and starring in the movie really difficult and especially a movie like this with so many moving pieces plus comedy that you have to hit correctly i think is is not an easy thing to do and i thought he did a wonderful job and tug's performances and look we give all the love to robert downey jr um and his performance but and tom cruise as well but ben stiller playing this kind of not too smart guy who's an action hero but progresses to this point where you understand that he's just wanting to be accepted you know even that situation with him and tyra banks was like someone said they were close to me there's a real patheticness to him but by the end you actually have a begrudging respect for him actually because he does sacrifice himself for his people yeah. he does really care about these guys and in return they care about him and so there's a yep. real power in the journey for his performance too steve uh, i 100 percent agree and i also think man he got kind of yoked he had, yeah he, had he to get did. those action arms you know <laughs> Um, I, I'm always impressed because there's, I can't think of a lot of people who can direct, can write are a, a really funny yeah. and a really good mimic because that's a very unique and specific skill that, yeah, yeah. that Ben Stiller has. And I'm so excited. Uh, did you watch severance by the way? I have not watched severance. I finished <sighs> high desert, which is great. So I'm definitely finding my way back to Severance. I'm focused on warrior this week, knocking out those first two seasons to get ready for season three, but I'm going to hit severance for sure very soon. I mean, you know, we're in peak TV land, so it's impossible yeah. to watch all these things. Warrior is a lot of fun. Yeah. That's what um, and severance is severance will fucking rip up your brain. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good. Very. <laughs> it, it, uh, the one thing I'll just say about severance yeah. is you get, there's a, cl a cliffhanger at the end of the second to last episode. Okay. And I, was loving the show and i put off watching the final episode for at least two weeks wow. because i was just so stressed out and i just like i can't deal with this right now <laughs> i really can't deal it. with this 
Understood. Understood. Uh, all right. Well, I think we did a wonderful job. Well, I don't want to kiss our own ass, but I think we did a wonderful job <laughs> of talking about this film. Uh, we got a couple of Streamlabs and Super Chats that have come through. Only two. So for those of you who are watching right now, we'd love some support. Send in your Streamlabs and Super Chats. We're about to talk about our tiers on Patreon. If you'd like to send in uh, some stuff now, now would be the time to do it. Jonathan Peck says, speaking of Les Grossman, what do you think of the rumblings of potentially a spinoff film of Les Grossman? If the spinoff film would be made, do you think it will address um, of this studio head in cur- address some of the issues of a studio head in current Hollywood? Um, I think it'd be really dangerous because not a lot of people are sympathizing with studio head Steve. So I don't know how this would work. And I would think it would unfortunately humanize studio heads, which I don't think people want to do right now when we're in the midst of strikes possibly with all three of the um guilds in the uh in hollywood right now what's your thoughts well i'm all for humanizing people in general that's i think a, a you know a worthy thing to if there's someone who you don't understand right. and we can show a different side of someone i'm totally for that i'm not for doing that with less grossman <laughs> i think this is an absolutely terrible idea I, it's so funny when we did um we did recently the fmk short on oh, yeah. uh, well yeah. short yeah. And we had a blast and we got a great response. And both you and I said the same thing. We cannot do this too often. Right. Because, because it would ruin it. Yeah. Les Grossman should not be the lead of a fucking movie. Yeah. That would ruin it. What's good about him is on screen for what? Under 10 minutes, seven yeah. minutes, eight minutes. And that is the amount. And I'm not saying I don't want to see him come back. I would love to see Les Grossman come back. Yeah. But he should never be the center of the film. It would right. ruin it. That's my uh, opinion. I use his name as a bit of a play on words. Less, less Grossman would be good. Yeah. Less, less Grossman is the key to it all uh, because in doses, he is fantastic. An overall film or series, I think would get exhausting to be honest with you overall, um, especially because you have to kind of play around with maybe him getting into a compromising situation with a woman. If you're really, or an assistant, female assistant, if you're really going to, go that route and i personally don't think that's an area to be any uh to be any fun of in any way for sure although uh, if there, there is some way if there is some way we can get a buddy movie between les grossman and saul goodman i think that's a real i think that's that really has legs saul goodman remind me saul goodman from better call saul oh i don't watch better call saul so i don't, oh, I don't it was a, okay. it was really just a joke on les grossman and saul goodman oh, and now that i've explained the joke it's really, it's just sad. It's just sad at this point. No, no, it's my <laughs> fault for not being more aware of these things. Um, let's see. Two Streamlabs have come through. Ghost underscore of underscore Wells. Ooh, the ghost of Wells has reached out to us. Hello, gentlemen. Not a query, but an apology. I have often felt guilty for my final performance due to the fact that I was not a planet-devouring robot to all transforming <laughs> planetary <laughs> genocide machines. I apologize also, no Citizen Kane 2, you AI writers. I agree, Wells, 100%. Um, but I think you should give yourself a little more uh, leeway and lenience for not being a planet-devouring robot. Steve, your thoughts on Ghost of Wells' apology and <laughs> his consternation at AI writers if they, well, I, uh, if they I, dare I, to be Citizen Kane 2. I, yeah. I think it's wonderful to hear that well-known Hollywood legends that are deceased can still grow and change i think that's really it gives me a lot of hope can you imagine the interview with wells about ai writers oh my god the 
absolute destruction from an intellectual level that he would administer would be a joy to watch, to be honest with you, for sure. And the thought I just had was, is someone's going to ask chat GTP to write in the style of Orson Welles about AI. God. Vincent Zawada says, uh, Tom Cruise dancing with Bill Hader is so funny. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Hader said he had a great time with Tom as well, doing the film with him, so... No surprise. And certainly uh, Bill Hader just recently wrapped up Barry uh, with a very interesting right. final season. Um, Travis Earl says, what does Steve think of the French connection being edited by Disney plus? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, this is a news story that broke a few days ago, uh, Disney plus and criterion channel um, played or have a copy of the French connection that is on their respective streaming services that it removes four seconds of the movie. And in those four seconds, it is Popeye Doyle using the N-word to address uh, a black person in his midst. And remember, he is a narcotics detective in New York in the 1970s. So there's a big controversy here. Criterion responded saying, it is uh, Fox Searchlight or, or Searchlight or Disney who sends us the movies. So we just play what they send us. So they were saying that they're not at fault for this, that Disney is at fault for this. So, Steve, what are your thoughts on this overall? I can you predict what my thoughts are? <laughs> yes, but uh, we're uh, asked. Uh, so, I mean, I believe that the artist's work is the artist's work, and mm -hmm. that is what it is. And the thing, and the thing, particularly with a movie like The French Connection and a character like Popeye Doyle, Popeye Doyle is not a nice guy. Popeye Doyle is a racist. Popeye yes. Doyle is aggressive. Okay. Popeye Doyle is a drunk. Popeye Doyle is a difficult character. It is a film from the early 70s, and that is what it fucking is. Yeah. And, and it's like, and this is the thing. There's this weird thing. You know, I, I, I think the same th I think the same thing. If a Florida textbook takes race out of the story of uh, you know, the civil rights movement, which they've yeah. done, you know, that's fucking wrong. Like we need to look at our past for what it was and yeah. to look at that movie. That movie is not only showing you what did New York look like at that era, mm -hmm. but it also showed you a view of what they thought a great policeman was like in that right. era, Yeah, you know? And so like that is, and, and the thing is, is how are we going to learn about the past? Mm -hmm. If you edit out parts of the past, that is what it is. Yeah. You know, like it just is, and the thing is, like, look, I understand that that word is, is the most fraught word in the English language and in America today. It is yeah. it is the most taboo word. I, I totally get that. But right. like, you know, it's like there there are versions of Huckleberry Finn where that word is removed. Yes. And I do understand why that is done. And I do. And, and I'm not going to say that I would force a young African-American kid to read the version with the N word consistently throughout the whole thing. Mm. But. When you have a book like that, where it was protested because of how it had a, showed a friendship between a black man and a young white man, white yeah. boy, that that it was. I mean, this is a movie that moved race relations forward in a huge way. Yeah. And so, yeah, it looks retrograde today because it's a hundred plus years old. But that doesn't mean you change the nature of the book because yeah. then you're changing our history. You're changing, yeah. I mean, this is the, you know, do I sound like someone who goes, don't put, tear down Confederate statues? I mean, I guess I'm making making an argument that sounds the same, <sighs> but I don't think those are our history in the way that yeah. this is what the art was. That is what the artist said. You cannot like it. You can skip that moment if you want, put up a warning before it, have a discussion after it, do all those things, but don't change the art. That's my yeah. opinion. 
Yeah, I think it's different than I mean, in no other country do you put up statues that people try to overthrow your government. Like, it yeah, no, no it's agreed. It's the dumbest yeah. thing in the world. So, and putting yeah, them I, in, specifically in black neighborhoods, yes, and right. them in schools that you're sending African Americans to, you know, right. it's fucked up. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. So yeah, uh, but yeah, like you, I've said this on a couple of shows already. For anybody who maybe hasn't watched those, hundred percent agree. No, stop censoring. This is part of it. And yeah, you're supposed to be uncomfortable with certain characters. Yeah. What are you going to do with the searchers? Are you going to start taking all that stuff out of John Wayne's performance? Then you lose the whole point of the movie. And look, yeah. a lot of us have people we know, and certainly from different generations and older generations, who are uncomfortable people to have in our lives sometimes because of their points of views. But we've got to learn to live with them and figure out how to coexist. So to have a character like Pop Idol, who is a hero in the movie, but he's a bit yeah. of an anti-hero, um, use that uh, word. It is tough, but it's the 1970s. He's a cop. And it also kind of highlights how cops casually use it. And guess what? Here's breaking news. They still casually use that word that way when they think no one's listening or when they're around people who do the same thing. And I have that on very good authority. Uh, so that, that's what I'm telling you. It's not something that's unrealistic. And Disney trying to Disneyfy it out, I think, is ridiculous and terrible. And I understand the intention, but this is not the place to do it. Well. Hey, can, can I add just one yeah, thing to sure. that? Because because I like what you said about, you know, we all know people who have certain things that we find unsavory is that yeah. I think the secret to us coming together as people is keeping that word in the movie. And here's why I'm saying that okay. is that the fact is, is that Popeye Doyle, despite all of his flaws, is a great cop. Yes. You know, and yes. is the hero of the movie. And what we need to be able to do is look at people and go, okay, they did this thing. You know, we see them, what they posted on social media, and we're like, oh, whatever that opinion was from either side, yeah, that yeah. makes me sick. That's horrible. Yeah. And what we tend to do is go, that represents the totality of who that person is. Right. And it doesn't. They still might bake the best cookies for the school bake sale. They still <laughs> might be a great, you know, little league coach. They still yeah. might go out and, you know, take care of uh, elderly people at the church social or whatever. They, they might, there are a million things. They might be your favorite aunt, whatever. Yeah. And also, you know, occasionally say something that you find racist. It's like, that's what humans are, you know? And so if yeah. you, if you take that out, what you're saying is, is anytime anyone has ever used this word, they're evil, 100%, reject them, done, that's it. Instead right. of going like, okay, they did this thing that I really, really, really don't like and is disgusting and I believe is racist, yeah. also a good cop. Yeah, yeah. You know? that's, and, and look, the other side sees it that way as well. And the more rational people on the other side say the same thing. Like, I don't like, you know, like maybe they say like, I don't like people who support LGBTQ stuff. I don't like people yeah. who are, you know, supporting of the trans community. I don't like people who want to see equality at bay for women. I don't like the idea of people who don't want religion in their lives or in their schools, but I've got to learn to get along with those people who don't want that kind of stuff. And that's, well, I agree with you that we, we used to be able to do that. And now it's become, so and look, I, I know I'm not the innocent one here in this equation. You're not the one that usually posts angry stuff on Twitter about it. I am, but I do do that so that we can find a way back to some several some semblance of civility within our own selves because i think the fringe should stay on fringe and let us handle stuff uh in the middle here and more people need to be coming towards the middle and bridging the divide for sure and who knows if that will happen um stormy woods giving us a compliment here real quick steve says watch 1776 and i've been watching your podcast about it thanks for all the work you do oh thank you Stormy. thank you and i think those are some of my favorites it's interesting yeah. Because, you know, 1776 is not going to get the downloads right. that The Godfather or The Dark Knight or, you know, some die of those hard. are yeah. die hard. It's not going to get that. I think those 7076 episodes are some of my favorites. You I know? agree, Steve. They are some of my favorites as well because that's a film I genuinely, deeply I love. Know. 
So being yeah. able to talk about it as much as we did was a lot of fun. Um, speaking of our show, let's uh, let's get into some. Well, actually, do you want to take one more break so we can put another uh, commercial in this one? Or are we good to go on to something else? Uh, let's go on. Let's go on. I okay. feel like let's we've... talk about the tiers, uh, Patreon tiers. Steve, do you want to handle this? Uh, give some ideas, give some thoughts about what's happening for our patrons. Sure. And people who aren't patrons may be being inspired to jump into our patrons, or, uh, into our pa- becoming a patron. And those of you who are patrons may be inspired to jump to the next level, please. Well, I will do my best to be inspiring right now. <laughs> um, so, so I'd say that the biggest thing, I would say the theme, if you will, yeah. of the changes that we've made in Patreon is that we want to interact with you more and be more inclusive with the people that support us on Patreon. Yeah. And that starts right with the very first tier, which is the $1 tier. This is the cheapest. This is $1 a month to support the show. Yeah. I can't even compare it to you spend less on you know, your cup of coffee or whatever it is, because it's less than everything, a dollar a month. And what this always was, we just kind of said, thanks. And what yeah. we're doing now is a dollar a month, Get we're going to put out a monthly schedule in advance of what's coming up on the show. That means as much as we know, because we don't always know everything, but sure. what movies we're going to do, what the watch along is going to be, what the live show is going to be, any yeah. shorts we're going to do. We're going to tr- try to put that at the beginning of every month. And you get access to that advanced knowledge of what the Cinephiles is doing for $1. So that's the, that's the first thing Um, at the $5 level. And we really think of this as our sweet spot. I mean, this is like the boy, you get a lot of stuff. One of the most important, which is the access to our shorts. So we do cinema cinephile shorts every week. They vary from 10 to 15 minutes to an hour long, depending on how intensely you and I get into a conversation. True. Very true. And I think this is a huge thing. And then also we're doing more things throughout these tiers like, we're going to put out a question and have a discussion. And then that discussion is going to be the topic for the cinephile short. And you might hear your quotes or your ideas or the things that you bring up in the discussion in the short. That's another way to make things interactive. Also, there are ad free versions. You know, we've, we've jumped over now to red circle. So we have access to more ads on the show. Some of you like ads, some of you don't like ads, but for the people who don't like ads uh, at the $5 and above level, you will get access to ad free versions of the regular show. Uh, which Steve has already kind of been doing. So now it's going to be something that's going to be available to you all at the $5 and above level as well. I just want to throw that in. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and one thing at the $10 above level is that we're, you're going to be able to like right now we're doing a live show. You'll yep. be able to submit a question in advance for the live show yep. without having to go through Streamlabs or StreamYard, things like that. You could do it right here. Um, and also access to our monthly watch-alongs, which, mm-hmm. I, by the way, I was going to say, I don't think we've picked our monthly watch-along for this Ooh, month. Might be so we have to figure out what that's going to be. And that's us doing a commentary track. Some of them have been a ton of fun. And sometimes they've been movies we've liked. Sometimes movies we've never seen. Sometimes movies we didn't like so much. And all of those have been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, last month we did um, uh, From Russia With Love, right? To Russia With Love or yep. From Russia? From, from Russia With Love, which was something I had never seen before, James Bond movie. Steve, one of Steve's favorites, and it was a blast to watch it with him to um, experience it all and have some context from Steve as we're watching it. So these are the things you get at the ten dollar and above level, um, as well as to combined episodes of a single movie. That's another thing, Steve. That we talk about the idea of removing ads. Also, you will get you'll get an entire file of our um, the all the parts of a movie that we've talked about all in one file. I think that's right, Steve. And so yep. you'll be able to listen to it non-stop so let's say you've got a four hour five hour day of weeding or driving around <laughs> or running errands you can take us with you for four to five hours maybe you're waiting in a hospital room 
Maybe you're just going off and doing whatever, taking a hike for five hours or riding your bike for five hours, or you're going to take a five-hour bath. We will hang out with you for the full five hours uh, without any breaks and without any commercials. Um, once we go up to the $25 level, and I would say this is the biggest change, and I yeah. think this is the best benefit that we've had to give to our patrons, which is that you become a member of what we're calling the Cinephiles Advisory Board. Here, here. What this, yeah, and what this is is once a month, near the end of the month, you know, we talked about distributing that schedule all the way down to the dollar level. Yeah. Well, we're going to discuss that schedule with the advisory board. We're going to talk about the movies we're thinking about doing, the shorts we're thinking about doing, watch-alongs, live shows. What's our Christmas show going to be this year? What's the big director that we're going to dig into? Now, it's still John and our show. Like, we, <laughs> we, we, you know, like we have 98% of the vote. Yeah. But we really, really do want to involve all of you who wants to join at this level in the discussion. And this is going to be done through a live Zoom call. So it's not just you seeing our faces, it's us seeing your faces. And so not only are we going to talk about the cinephiles and where it's going to go, but we also get to have a chat about what are the latest movies, things that you're interested in, stuff you want to talk about. This is a chance for you to get to know us better and us to get you to know you better. And that is at the $25 level. You'll be the Senate and the House of Representatives, but Steve and I are the co-presidents. So we will right. be able to veto any legislation you put before us or sign any legislation you put before us in the form of movies or topics to discuss. And I think that'll be great for you all to have an interactive part of our show. Or for those of you who are overseas, you'll be our parliament and we'll be your, your uh, prime minister or queen and king. And I think that's the best way to put it. Um, anyway, so, um, and you get to submit questions for upcoming regular episodes. Uh, we're in the midst now of recording what is going to be a military theme next few weeks of episodes. So you could have um, sent that. You could have, you could be sending in questions at the $25 and above level for us to answer uh, during these regular episodes, which will be another great way to highlight you all's perspective and points of views on these films. You know what I think would be a great thing to do, John, is yeah. we, we can send out, we know what our next month's schedule is. That's true. So it seems to me, why don't we put out the schedule and for maybe not this movie that is re recording right now, mm -hmm. but for the next one that's coming up, maybe we should put out an offer and get some of those questions so we can have them included in that show. Not a bad idea. Love it. Yeah. So that's going to happen right now. Now we got some higher tiers, $35 and a $50 one. One yeah. thing I do want to say, the, the ability to pick a movie that we do we're not getting rid of it entirely. It is at the $50 level. And, and the reason that we had to move this up is just we do these multiple part things with movies and we have a lot more patrons and we just weren't able to service all the picks that people yeah. wanted. Yes. And so, but we did want to still keep it. So it's at the $50 level and we have added a new super duper high end tier, which is if you are desperate, absolutely desperate to get your movie explored by the cinephiles. Yeah. We actually have a price for you to move your movie, if not to the top of the list, but near the top of the list. Yeah. Assuming it's a movie that John and I like, and that is at the $500 level. That's right. And the reason this has happened is because some of you have DM'd us over the years and said that you'd be willing to offer us a certain level of money. And we've, we've seen $1,500 offered to us to do a film. So we thought we'd settle on $500 for those of you who can't afford it, got extra cash and you'd like to have a film moved up in the queue for us to discuss, that's the way you do it. And, of course, we will shout you out. Um, Steve and I are still figuring out if we maybe have a quick conversation with you or have you record your thoughts on the film initially 
and then even maybe doing your final thoughts, and we will include that and play that yep. alongside our final thoughts at the end of our discussion on the film. So that's a, a, another perk for those of you who really care about the show and love the show as much as you do and are willing and are able, of course, not denigrating anybody who can't, but are able to send at that level. These are the uh, perks that we wanted to offer you all. Um, and as a thank you for supporting us at that level. Well, and, and this is what I'll say about it too. We are never, ever on the cinephiles going to do a movie that John and I don't believe yes. deserves to be part of the cinephiles. A hundred percent. That's where we draw the line so, on any tier. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the, the, so it's, we're not going to be doing, I don't know, name whatever ridiculous movie you want to name. You can't bribe us to do a thing that we don't think is going to make a great show. Yes. But you can support us in doing a movie that we do think will make a great show. And we'd want you to be really more and more involved in the process maybe than we've ever been before. Yeah. 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 So these are the things we've been working on over the last few weeks. Steve and I've been having numerous discussions about it, hashing it out both on the phone and over text and over email and, and during our episodes as well. So we hope you all enjoy the new uh, um, direction that we're going on with the Patreon, the new benefits, new perks. And hopefully that encourage some of you to jump up. Hopefully it encourage some of you to join the Patreon uh, as well. Um, um, and, uh, you know, keep supporting what we're doing and getting us to the next level because we have goals and dreams and aspirations of what we want to do with the show. And we think we're heading towards those, the accomplishment of those goals. But uh, we'd love for more of you to come along with us to support us to keep going and doing all these films that we're doing for sure, Steve. Can I just I echo everything you have to just say? Yeah. Can I just do a, a quick shout out? Because Please. I see that uh, Darren Wright is watching. He's yeah, uh, watching Darren. live show. Yeah. And Darren, I just he, he just in his in his last uh, comment, he says he's down to his last 20 films. Darren, I think, started watching, uh, listening to the cinephiles over a year ago, maybe. Yeah. And he's I've been watching his progress and YouTube comments going movie by movie. He's gone through every single film the cinephiles has done. I think he started with the ones he had seen and now he's doing yeah. all the ones he hadn't seen. And Darren, it's just been it's so fun. And this is true of, of a lot of you who I've come to know through your comments. It's yeah. so fun watching you guys make your journeys through these films as we're going through it that's that's one of the secret joys of doing this podcast is it's hearing the the fun that you're having and in, in discovering all these new movies absolutely i mean darren is a charter member of the outlaw nation and i remember way back when i was putting it together on my patreon and the uh darren would be part of the group that would come on on the zoom and darren who was um sequestered because of covid had DVDs that he had borrowed or had been given to him uh, or he had rented all over his walls. And he had, he was driven to watch all of them through uh, the uh, pandemic. And so his commitment to loving films is so great to see. And it's been a joy to have him uh, come aboard the cinephiles, Steve as well. And watch, as you said, his progress as he watches all the films we're watching. And what was the film recently that he said, we gave him a whole new appreciation of um, because he had, didn't understand the film when he'd watched it. No, it was giant. Time. It was giant. giant. Yes, giant. And he said, listening to our conversation, turned him around on the film and had him appreciate it. So it's always great to be able to do that with our show for sure, Steve. Yeah. Well, and it, it also points out that like, even though we, we don't reply to every single comment on YouTube True. or every single comment on Twitter or Facebook, because we just can't, we, we do genuinely pay attention to them and we do mm -hmm. genuinely appreciate them absolutely absolutely so uh, all right well there we go thank you all so much for joining us for this episode the cinephiles live episode we appreciate it madly hope you enjoyed our discussion on topic or uh, tropic thunder anything we missed let us know down in the comments section below anything you any other thoughts you have about the stuff steve and i discussed please let us know down in the comments section below hit a like on this video 
I always tell people to share it on your social media because you never know what person is going to see you sharing a podcast or a show and be like, well, I trust this person's opinion. I'm going to take a look at this and maybe they come aboard the Cinephiles train. Haven't had too many people who listen to us reject us. They usually come aboard and it's usually through word of mouth, which we appreciate very much. Steve, uh, please let people know where what you got going on and where they can uh, support everything we do on the Cinephiles. Well, uh, you can find me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. Of course, as we said, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Uh, Enterprise Incidents, we are just wrapping up the animated series. We just recorded the first episode of season two. And you go like, well, how is the first episode almost wrapping up? Well, there are only six episodes in the uh, second <laughs> season of the animated series. Yes. So you started off and you're getting towards the end. We've had fantastic guests on that show. And of course, if you want to buy or stream Tropic Thunder, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed, you can do it at cinephiles.net. And I think I did the stuff. Oh, and you can also write a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, we love to have your comments right here on YouTube. Absolutely. And if you want to tag the people at Red Circle and tell them how much you're loving the cinephiles, that would be nice as well. Um, as for me, you can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. My YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says. We're so close to 30,000 subscribers. Come and head over there and subscribe. Uh, and uh, my other podcast, the Cinephiles, I'm oh, sorry, the uh, Geek Buddies and the Hot Mic that are out there for you all to enjoy as separate feeds as well as the Outlaw Nation Podcast Network as well. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We love you madly, and we hope you have a good rest of your weekend and a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live. Peace until then. <laughs>